Reverend Jay Musker, Minister Emeritus from the Canadian Reformed Church at Owen Sound, Ontario, has prepared this morning's sermon and has chosen as his text 1 Kings 10, the verses 1 through 10. Page 290 in the Pew Bible. One Kings 10, and we will read the first 13 verses. Now when the queen of Sheba heard of the famous Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. She came to Jerusalem with a very great retinue, with camels bearing spices and very much gold and precious stones. And when she called to Sol- came to Solomon, she told him all that was on her mind. And Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing hidden from the king that he could not explain to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food, at his, as the food of his table, the seating of his officials, and the attendance of his servants, their clothing, his cupbearers, and his burnt offerings that he offered at the house of the Lord, there was no more breath in her. And she said to the king, the report was true that I heard in my own land of your words and of your wisdom. But I did not believe the reports until I came and my own eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity surpasses the report that I heard. Happy are your men. Happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God, who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel, because the Lord loved Israel forever. He has made you king, that you may execute justice and righteousness. Then she gave the king 120 talents of gold and a very great quantity of spices and precious stones. Never again came such an abundance of spices as those that the Queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. Moreover, the fleet of Hiram, which brought gold from Ophir, brought from Ophir a very great amount of almugwood and precious stones. And the king made of the almugwood supports for the house of the Lord and for the king's house, also lyres and harps for the singers. No such almugwood has come or been seen to this day. And, the king, and King Solomon gave to the Queen of Sheba all that she desired, whatever she asked, besides what was given her by the bounty of King Solomon. So she turned and went back to her own land with her servants. After the reading of this morning's sermon, we will sing from Psalm 72, the stanzas 1, 5, and 6. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, you may remember how the Lord God said to Solomon back in 1 Kings 3, Ask whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. Solomon, you recall, asked for an understanding heart to discern between good and evil so he could rule wisely over God's people. The Lord then told him that since he had asked for wisdom and not for riches and long life, 
He would grant him riches and honor in addition to great wisdom. And so in 1 Kings 10, and also in the part that comes after our text this morning, Solomon is shown as an extremely wise and smart king, as well as fabulously wealthy. It says in 1 Kings 10 verse 23 that he surpassed all the kings of the earth at that time in riches and wisdom. Later on, Solomon took the Lord for granted, and the riches and wisdom he received were no longer a blessing to him. You see the beginning of that at the end of 1 Kings 10, where Solomon does what the Lord had forbidden Israelite kings to do. He acquired horses and chariots. But this morning, we will deal with the time before that decline, when everything was wonderful and affluent in the kingdom. And we see in that glory the blessing of God on the Old Testament prince of peace, Solomon. And that glory was the prophecy of the glory of the eternal prince of peace, who is greater than Solomon, Jesus Christ. I preach to you the word of God in the text with this theme. God shows the glory of his kingdom in the Queen of Sheba's visit. And we will pay attention to one, her coming, two, her questions, and three, her reaction. The Queen of Sheba's coming. Congregation, when you read a story like the visit of Queen of Sheba to Israel, to see Solomon's wealth and to hear his wisdom, you may be wondering why the Holy Spirit included it, this bit of history in the Bible at all. What does the Lord want to tell us with this? What message is there for us today in this visit of a pagan queen to Jerusalem around 3,000 years ago? Well, let's think about that. And maybe we should begin by asking ourselves what the Lord wanted to tell the first readers of this story. You must understand that the book of Kings was written a number of centuries after Solomon's death. In fact, Kings was written after all the kings of Israel and Judah mentioned in it had died. The last king mentioned in two kings was Jehoiakim in captivity in Babylon. Jerusalem had been completely destroyed at that time by Nebuchadnezzar. Solomon's beautiful palace was in ruins and the temple was burnt to the ground. Well, it's in those circumstances that the original writer of the Book of Kings was moved to write about the history of Israel's kings. He stands at the end of that history and looks back. And you can imagine that in that situation, the obvious question that presents itself is, how could this have happened? How did it all go so wrong with those kings and with the people? The portrayal of what happened in the past only makes the present situation of ruin and destruction all the more painful. Knowing about the, glory, the golden time of glory, the golden years under King Solomon made the great decline that came afterward all the more bitter. What brought about that steady decline? That's the question the book of Kings wants to answer. And so the two books of Kings are more than simply historical accounts of what happened. No, what is written is an indictment against the kings and people of Israel. It's an admonition. Look at what happens when you forsake the Lord your God. The Lord God had given David and his house wonderful promises. One of David's sons would always be king of Israel, and the people would enjoy peace and prosperity. But those promises also came with a condition. If the king and peoples of Israel did not walk in the way of the Lord, the Lord would take everything back. 
He would send enemies to destroy the peace, and he would take away their prosperity. Well, it's clear that the Lord God is true to what he says, both in giving peace and prosperity, as well as taking them away. God is faithful to his covenant with Israel and David. Remember again how the Lord God said to young King Solomon, Ask whatever you wish, and I will grant it to you. And then Solomon asked for understanding and discretion in order to rule God's people with wisdom and justice. In, in the words of the Lord Jesus, Solomon had first sought God's kingdom and righteousness, and therefore God promised to also to give him honor, power, and wealth. Well, the coming of the Queen of Sheba in our text was evidence that God does as he promises. That queen honored Solomon with her visit, and she gave King Solomon rich gifts, gold and jewels and spices. And her coming to visit Solomon is proof positive that what God calls out to his people, he delivers. Look, this is what happens when king and nation serve me and walk in obedience with me. Then rulers come from distant places to Jerusalem to honor the king and the nation and bring you riches. But the Queen of Sheba's visit is then also an admonition to the generations that come afterwards. For that great glory of king and kingdom lasted only such a short time. Think of the rest of the book of Kings. For after the visit of the Queen of Sheba, many other kings also came to Jerusalem. But they didn't come to give honor and riches to king and kingdom, but to rob the city of riches and to bring it to ruin. Occasionally, Jerusalem was able to buy off attackers by giving them gold, even gold stripped from the temple and palace. But then, too, the king and kingdom were living off the riches accumulated in Solomon's days. But those riches in palace and temple were soon depleted. Even the holy vessels of the temple were taken. And finally, the temple itself was completely demolished. The decline and eventual destruction of Jerusalem and the temple there wasn't because of the changing political situation. No, it was because of the worsening spiritual situation in Israel. It was because God's people had become disobedient and disbelieving. God wanted things to be so that four nations would come to Jerusalem to give honor and riches to his anointed king and to the kingdom of Israel. Well, that's what happened at the time of our text. When Solomon reigned in obedience to God, the glory and wealth of Jerusalem was famous all over the known world. And everyone knew that had to do with the blessing of the Lord, Israel's God. Look at verse 1 of our text. Now, when the Queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, when Solomon held the name of the Lord in high esteem, the Lord God gave him great fame and fabulous wealth. When he and the people of God walked in his way and distinguished themselves from the pagan nations in their worship and lifestyle, Jerusalem became a beacon of light in the world. It became a center of wisdom and culture, and people noticed that. That can happen today too, right? When people live close to God and his holy word, they stand out. The church becomes a light in the world. That's what happened with Solomon and Jerusalem. They became famous far and wide, even to the land of Sheba. And of course, it was asked where all the glory and wisdom and wealth in Jerusalem came from. And people came to the conclusion that it must be Yahweh 
the God of Israel, who had so blessed Israel's king and people. People realized that the glory of Jerusalem and King Solomon was connected to the name of God. And that's the way it was supposed to be, wasn't it? Not Solomon's name, but the Lord's God's name. He should receive all glory and honor. It was about his glory. And so the pagan queen was drawn to the light that shone out of Jerusalem and from Solomon, the son of David. Amazing, if you think about it, how the greater than Solomon, the true son of David, the true prince of peace, also received glory and gifts from wise men, from king who came to Israel from a distant nation. They gave gifts which were actually so similar to those in the queen of Sheba gave Solomon. Gold and spices were special gifts of honor in ancient times. Well, the queen of Sheba came and saw some of the faithfulness and greatness of the Lord God in how blessed Israel was with a wise king with such great prosperity. She knew this all has to do with the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. So God receives glory even from the mouth of a pagan queen who saw with her own eyes that the Lord does with the king and the people who are faithful in serving him. We come to our second part, the Queen of Sheba's questions. Drawn to Jerusalem by the famous Solomon and the connection of that glory to the name of the Lord, the Queen of Sheba journeyed all the way to Jerusalem. We don't know with absolute certainty where Sheba was, but it seems to have been located in the far south of the Arabian Peninsula, where the country of Yemen is today. Jesus simply called her the Queen of the South in Matthew 12. The fame of Solomon's wisdom and riches had reached all the way there, most likely via traveling traders. Well now, she wanted to see with her own eyes, and she came with the whole impressive retinue. And she came in particular, we're told in verse 3, to ask Solomon all kinds of difficult questions. Questions about nature and science, mathematics. The queen must have been a very smart lady in her own right. Ruler in the ancient Near East were highly educated, and this queen may have excelled in her time and place. She came to Jerusalem with all her pagan wisdom to test Solomon's wisdom. And you need to know, congregation, that this was a very tense moment. Here all the intellect of the pagan world, all the wisdom acquired through experience and observation and discussion, confronted the wisdom which Solomon had received from God via his observing and meditating on everything in the light of God's will and way. The wisdom of the world here confronts the wisdom of the God of Israel. And the big question is then, which kind of wisdom can better explain the course of world history? which can give a better explanation of the origin of creation and the place of man in it all, which provides more insight in the purpose of life and into what life and death are about. What kind of wisdom gives better ethnical discernment, discernment into what is good and what is not? The wisdom of man who doesn't know God or the wisdom of man who knows and serves the God of Israel? Which wisdom is able to best respond to all the questions of life that's what this is all about. It says in our text that Solomon was able to answer all the queen's questions, everything that was on her heart. Nothing was too hard for the king to speak about and to give a reasonable explanation. 
You you see that in Jerusalem, life wasn't shut out of reason and reality. No, you see there that the fear of the Lord is indeed the beginning of all wisdom. Solomon didn't have a faith which shut him off from the real life on earth. No, he knew God had created man and given him a place on earth. And his word points to the answers to all of life's basic issues. God's good commandments don't cut us off from real life and make it burdensome, but they free up life and make it enjoyable. The gospel of God's grace frees life from the burden of sin, which drags it down and opens it up and makes it satisfying. And you know what the meaning and purpose of life is. No philosophy or science which leaves God out of the picture can explain the why and wherefore of human existence, of all existence, really. But as Christians, we know the goal of creation, don't we? It all exists to glorify God's name. And we also know where everything is headed. It's all headed to the renewal of all things when Christ returns. The new heavens and the new earth, which are on the way. And whatever has taken place now, wars and rumors of wars and disasters and so on, are all birth pangs of what is coming. And congregation, whereas Solomon was a light in the world in his time, we now know the great son of David and Solomon, Jesus Christ. He is the Savior sent by God to this earth so that all creation, again, can give perfect glory to God. And whoever follows Jesus Christ won't walk in darkness, but in light. Christians know their place and purpose in the world. They know where they and everything else are headed. At this time, God's kingdom is still stained with sin and subject to decay. But one day, Solomon's great son, Jesus Christ, will come, and then full glory of the kingdom of God will be seen by all. The glory and wealth of Solomon's kingdom is tiny compared to the fullness of God and Christ's kingdom, which is coming. It'll encompass all creation forever. We come to the third part of the sermon, the Queen of Sheba's reaction. When the Queen of Sheba had tested Solomon's wisdom with all her questions, and Solomon had answered them all with wisdom, it was time for a great feast. Verse 5 implies that the Queen paid careful attention, not only to the food, but to the whole organization of that meal. After that, she was given a tour of the palace and the temple as far as she was allowed to see. After she had heard and seen everything, It says in verse 5 that there was no more spirit in her. That maybe sounds kind of strange, but it simply means that it all took her breath away. She was so amazed by everything. And then she praised everything. She says in verse 8, Happy are your men. Happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Remember again why the book of Kings was written. Only a few years later, a great many of those same servants rebelled against Solomon's house. They didn't want to have anything to do with Jerusalem and its king anymore. One of those servants, Jeroboam, led the breakaway kingdom of the ten tribes. That happened because Solomon no longer served the Lord as he did before. Happy are your servants who hear your wisdom, the Queen of Sheba said. You can't help but think of much later when the true son of David came, the one greater than Solomon. Jesus Christ. The people of Israel at that time didn't want to serve him as king either. Do you see the point? A pagan queen says, happy are the people who have such a king. 
But when the son of David, who was greater than Solomon, ministered among the people with power and wisdom, they said, away with him, crucify him. The queen of Sheba also praised the Lord God because of his love for and his blessing on his people. We don't know much, how much the queen understood about the Lord and his covenant with Israel. But even though she only visited Jerusalem for a short time, she did understand that all that she saw and heard was ultimately from the Lord, that Israel was prosperous and great because of the relationship with the Lord their God. In his great mercy, the Lord had given Israel a king who led the people wisely and in the ways of the Lord. And with all her praise at the conclusion of her brief visit to Jerusalem, the Queen of Sheba was also a witness against the against the thanklessness and blindness of the Jews who later didn't see how blessed they were with the Lord and his king. And, and so it's no wonder that much later the Lord Jesus referred to this queen when the leaders of the Jews rejected him as their Lord and king in Matthew 12. He said, the queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom in Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The Queen of Sheba saw some of the light of God's kingdom when she visited Solomon, and she could hardly contain her amazement and delight, and she burst out in praise to God. But when the greater than Solomon, the greatest king of the Jews, came to Israel, those near him hated him and rejected him. And that's why Jesus said, the Queen of Sheba will testify against you in the judgment, against you and hear the wisdom and the truth of Christ, and who rejected the riches of his salvation. That can happen, can't it? The people exist close to the wisdom and riches of the kingdom of God and don't even see it or don't want to see it. That they know about the Lord Jesus Christ and his gospel and they possess his promise, promises but turn away from him. Don't let it become for you as it did for the people of Israel. The people of promise who don't see their wealth and privilege anymore then you as children of the kingdom will end up outside while people from other parts will come and take your place at the table with Abram, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of God. And then Gentiles will witness against you. Congregation, let's let our eyes, the eyes of our heart, be continually opened to the majesty and wisdom of Christ the King and the glory of his kingdom to which we belong. Then happy are you that you may be one of his servants. Happy are you that you may belong to his church. Don't throw away the riches you have as members of Christ, and don't reject your service in his kingdom. For whoever loves King Jesus and serves him uprightly will only go from grace to grace and will know themselves richer and richer in his presence. For happy are the people who stand continually before the king who is greater than Solomon and hear his wisdom and know the riches of his kingdom. Amen.